Say it now, say it now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, and I got D-Boy alongside me again today. It's been a minute, but he's back, ladies and gentlemen. What's D-Boy, happening? what's going on? What's good with it, cuz? It's been uh, a minute. How long? I came in. Man, when, it's been about a month, maybe. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, I mean, we haven't even been on here in the last couple weeks, and I'll get into some of the announcements from that here shortly. But we haven't been on here in the last couple weeks, but I've been having a lot of interviews. We had the Simba interview. We had the Darrell Wright interview. They had Tyson Alger, I believe, came on around that time. So it's just been a lot of good interviews, some really good ones, dope guests coming and joining the podcast. Um, And and it's been really cool to have some of these in-depth conversations with all of them. And we're actually going to have a treat for you all because we're recording here just before Christmas. And this will actually be the last episode that we'll have from you in regards to you know us recording it but we are going to do something special for you next week the week of new year's we'll have a best of 2020 episode and obviously 2020 has not been the best year but (laughs) we have had a lot of crucial moments critical moments on this podcast some great guests some great conversations on some of the biggest things that have happened and taken place over the year 2020, good, bad, and everything in between. So I want to be able to kind of do something different. We never kind of close the year out with the Best Of podcast, and I thought we had a lot of great content over the course of this year. Like I said, some motivating, some educational, some really sporty, some more political, some really leans into more pop cultural and urban cultural things, but it was a lot of great content overall, and I want to really be able to show the diversity of this podcast with that best of episode. So I'm looking forward to it and it being something new for this podcast to give to you all the listeners, but a few different announcements, go and check out the street roots podcast. I host the street roots podcast as well. We released an episode on the biggie, the Billy Baggett series, excuse me. Uh, That was a special publication that we had written at street roots. And we basically dedicated an entire publication to the story of Billy Baggett, who spent majority of his life actually in the American penal system. So it really got to dig into his life and some of the things that he dealt with within the penal system. Um, It's some triggering and traumatic things, certainly in that story, but very informative. I had Emily Green, who's our managing editor at Street Roots. She actually wrote the entire story on Billy. She worked on the story for over a year, so she put a lot of time and dedication into it. It came out wonderful, and I got to speak with her on the Street Roots podcast about it, and so it was really, really cool. Um, Let's see. I also joined the What podcast. Um, That podcast was a really fun one. Uh, It was something that was different for me. Well, not different. It was just more so nostalgic because I got to really get back to talking hoops again and talking about the Blazers. And many of you know, uh, I used to cover the Blazers quite heavily when I worked in radio and I still follow them. I'm here in this market. Um, It's the We Have a Take podcast, also known as a What Podcast. So shout out to Tara for having me on there and joining her to discuss some hoops. Um, College basketball season is back. I'm back on the call over at Portland State University. So be sure to just follow the work that I'm posting on my Instagram page. And most in particular, uh, I'll be kind of giving you 
the 411 on obviously what's going on with Portland State's hoop team and also what's going on throughout the Big Sky conferences. We're now in Big Sky play as well. So I like to just keep everybody informed more so through the lens of Portland State in regards to what's happening within the conference. So I'm very excited, fortunate, and, and really lucky to be able to be back calling games during this time. Uh, Portland State itself had a lot of hurdles and hoops and loops that it had to jump and go through to be able to even have a college basketball season this year. Just I can based imagine. On, oh, man, based on the restrictions here in Oregon that may not be the same in other states that are a little bit more lenient when it comes to their COVID protocol. Portland State, I think, actually ended up being the last team in the entire country that was able to have a practice. So essentially, they hardly have practiced much at all, and they've jumped straight into having a basketball season, and they're working some of the kinks out there. But um, they're one and one in Big Sky play. They just split this past weekend with Weber State. So that was, you know, a, a good test. They got blew out in the first game last Friday by Weber State and was able to turn right around and play against them on Sunday, both at home, and they came out victorious late in that game. So um, just be following what I'm doing there. D-Boy, you got anything? I think you got a project out, huh, brother? Yeah, I got a project, man. It's slap. I'm proud of it, too. Uh, The people like it. The people proud of it. Um, It's called uh, Finally Went Pro. I didn't want to go uh, blank right there on it like, <laughs> like we've seen recently. That was funny, though. But, yeah, uh, it's called Finally Went Pro, Seven Songs. It's an EP. Um, and nowadays, I feel like that's just the way to go for me. Just seven songs. People can dissect it. People can hear it. People can better understand me because a lot of the stuff that I don't speak about or rant about on Instagram, it, it really comes out in my music. So, I think uh, I think it was just a good, wholesome project and something I'm looking forward to doing more of. What you think? It was a really good project, man. It was actually one of your better projects, in my opinion. And I, I've seen a lot of people reaching out to you, posting it, reposting it, right. putting it on the Instagram story. So I, I think you've definitely... It's been received well Facts. by many people. I received it really well. And I do want to talk to you a little bit more about the project later because cool. obviously the intersectionality, intersectionality of this podcast is sports, politics, and culture. And the fact that you made a rap... What is this, an EP? Yeah, EP. You made a rap EP called Finally Went Pro. Mm-hmm. And knowing the sports background that you have, I definitely want you to kind of deep dive a little bit more into the concept of a EP called Finally Went Pro. You sure will. And obviously looping it into the art that you're doing today as a musician. Fact. But uh, let's jump straight into it, man. Obviously, we got a lot going on. We got the NBA is back. We'll get into some of that. We'll definitely talk about the verses. Uh, it was our hometown, E-40 from Vallejo, California, versus Too Short from Oakland, California. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I've been a big Versus fan over the course of this year. We've talked about it several before, and we certainly will talk about it again today because, like I said, the two artists come from our backyard where we grew up at. We actually know E-40 personally, so it'll be good to just kind of talk about that, but also sticking with Vallejo, California, and what I want to start off with is uh, the CC Sabathia documentary that yes, just please. came yes, out. Please. I want to start with CC Sabathia under the grapefruit tree. Under Thank the grapefruit you. tree. Under the grapefruit tree. Excuse me. Um, obviously, for those of you who don't know, CC Sabathia is 
uh, future Hall of Famer, recently retired. He pitched with the Cleveland Indians. He was a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, and he ended his career with the New York Yankees. Um, one of the most prominent black pitchers ever, one of the most prominent pitchers ever, one of the greatest pitchers ever. As I mentioned, he will for sure be a Hall of Famer, but we all know, you know, kind of the demographics when it comes to baseball and blackness within baseball, especially during a time like right now where the diversity lacks a bit. Um, but CC has certainly made way as a dynamic pitcher um, and a New York Yankee, which in itself is, is a big time situation. But CC kind of, you know, took us behind the curtain a little bit with this documentary. And he talked about him growing up in Vallejo, California, which is where we are from. Uh, he discussed some of his relationships with his father growing up and the passing of his father. But he also really tackled his a problem and his addiction with alcohol throughout his life and throughout his career. And so it was a really dynamic documentary being able to kind of tackle the three subjects of a him, the baseball player, b his relationship with his father and c the alcoholic. Um, but D boy, just start off. You're a baseball guy yourself. You know, CC really well, even better than I do. You played baseball at the same high school as CC Sabathia. Just share some of your general thoughts before we continue to kind of deep dive on, on what we saw <clears throat> in that documentary on HBO. Well, really the connection even go back. I mean, it goes back farther than even what I'm finna mention, but really a, a picture that I believe is classic um, of me and you it has CC Sabathia in it, and that's when dad opened his sports shop, Nothing Absolutely. But Sports, back in 2003, I believe. And so that was that was even crazy. You know what I mean? The status of CC just getting into the bigs and coming and doing the um, the autograph signing with David Bernstein and uh, Joe Thurston and yep. uh, the other homie, too, uh, that used to live in Green Valley. Uh uh, Damon Hollins. Damon Hollins. Damon yep, Hollins. Yep, yep, Tampa yep, yep. Bay Devil Rays. Yeah, he's so, coaching now. Is he coaching with the Rays? I know he's coaching. He's definitely in the coaching. He's coaching system. in the I big seen leagues. An article probably two years ago that he got like a, a damn good position somewhere. So, yeah, he's um, coaching in the bigs right yeah, now. Yeah, I want to sure. say it is with the Rays, but don't quote me on that. But anyways, um, like you said, from from that encounter and then playing for uh, the Vallejo Apaches, my he's with the Royals, by the way. He he's okay, with the, the Kansas City Royals, okay, first yeah. base coach. So, um, yeah, my freshman and sophomore year playing for uh, Vallejo High School, the same school as CC as you mentioned, it was dope just seeing him come to our school so damn frequently. I'm, me being a freshman in high school and watching this big, tall guy throw the ball across the foul, from foul pole to foul pole, effortlessly almost was crazy to me for one. Was and it a straight liner? Did it, he get a little bit of air I mean, under it? You can get a little bit of air, but just yeah. the fact that it was it was more of a line drive than a pop-up for it to be thrown from that foul pole to foul pole. You know what yeah. I mean? And then on top of that, us seeing him in the eye as a pitcher, but anytime he'll come up there and pick up a bat, it was guaranteed he hit it out the park at, at Patterson Field, which is now CC Sabathia Field. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. And so even that was crazy. It was like you you had to know just off of that firsthand interaction, like, okay, I see why he go, he in the pros. Like this fool having it took BP and hell along, as we know, pitchers don't hit. Right. And he was out there raking 450 <laughs> feet bombs. You feel me? We bye like, bye now. Bye bye now. So I mean, seeing that and it. starting kind of there with our relationship and then going all the way to when I uh when I went to the game through him at uh 
at uh, the A, Oakland A's Coliseum during his last his last season. Uh, just that and everything in between, me feeling like I was close and knew him, and then seeing a whole nother side, as you mentioned, um, it's just crazy to to know a person and even his teammates and his coaches even knowing him so well and not knowing some of the things he battled outside of the baseball field, which we could get into some more. For sure. That, that's some of the connections that me and him have that really stick out to me. Absolutely not. Like I said, it was really dope to see, you know, speaking of my connections to it, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, back when he came to our dad's sporting goods store, um, just being from Vallejo, just seeing the scene when he was at the Crest Park in Vallejo just kind of took me all the way back to the days when we I, we would have baseball practice at the Crest Park and we would literally be in our cleats and instead of throwing the ball from foul pole to foul pole, we ran foul pole to end practice. Yep, that yep. was like our conditioning Facts. at the end of practice. Facts. We'd be gassed after running 20 foul poles or 30 foul poles or whatever coach was feeling that day mm -hmm. for us to have to run. And then as soon as we would be done, having baseball practice over there, we wouldn't even take our cleats off before walking to the basketball courts at the park and be playing pickup ball. So just knowing all the ball CC grew up playing and mm -hmm. the, the dynamics that he played with, like you said, it's called uh, what, Under the Grapefruit Tree. Yeah, under the Grapefruit, under the grapefruit yeah. Tree and how he was pitching grapefruits as mm -hmm. a kid in his and grandmother's always, backyard like, in the Country Club Crest. You know what I mean? Our we grandmother lived in the Country exactly. Club Crest. So it but was even like... <laughs> further, our grandma and his mama was, was, was tight close. when they you were friends. So. She told me that when I... She was there when I seen CC after the A's game. And right. so... We was able to reminisce on that. I gave his mom a big hug. We chopped it up for a minute. So, like I said, you get the stories of the Damian Lillards shooting at the crate. You get the stories of CC Sabathia. Right. And even us as brothers, we got creative with how to play ball sometimes. Absolutely. Just that's what we did growing up. So, <laughs> Absolutely. it was so dope to see something through that lens, but also be so relatable as well. For sure. 100%. 100%. Um, I definitely didn't know too much about his addiction problems, and you would probably think we'd have a little bit more insight right. on it because right. of kind of mm -hmm. the connection there. Mm -hmm. um, but I just thought it was real cool for CC to come out and just kind of talk about it and be transparent about it because we do um, kind of glorify and give this heroic look to athletes in particular. And it's something that is tough for one, the consumer, because it's harder for us to see that athlete as the person and as the human, but it also puts a lot more pressure on that athlete because they know that they're being glorified and they're being put and into watched. a box <laughs> and, and watched at all times mm -hmm. and put into this particular box. And they may be dealing with something totally else from the superstar picture that we know him That's as crazy. in his case, it was alcoholism that he was dealing with. So mm -hmm. I thought it was just really cool to see all those dynamics kind of play together and us really getting to know CC the human mm -hmm. because we all know CC the future Hall of Famer. We all know CC the dynamic pitcher, the Cy Young Award winner, uh, the, 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 the black baseball, the black pitcher mm -hmm. who had the highest contract ever at one point when he signed a seven-year, $161 million, million yep. contract. The big like, giver that we know with him coming back every coming year. Coming back the home. Pitch-in foundation. Yeah, pitch-in foundation, hosting camps. He'd come to your local 
high school basketball games if you were mm-hmm. good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, in Vallejo, we, we take pride in, in the way that we compete yeah, out there. But sure. CC would be at the high school basketball games just chilling, you yeah, know, in his facts, hometown. Facts. He would be there. So mm-hmm. to see him kind of from this different lens and us having the access to him that maybe most generally wouldn't just because of our hometown connection, our familial connection. Um, it was just really dope and humanizing for me to see mm-hmm. um, somebody who, you know, obviously for works sure. in a space that I do where I actually see a lot of alcoholism um, just kind of on the streets. I see a lot of addiction generally just working with people on the streets. Um, I've dealt with it some, you know, in my own right. So just mm-hmm. drinking away like we've all had our yeah, moments like that. Fact. So to be able to Even now smoking connect. Weed. It's smoking like, weed. It's an addiction. I, I connect, and, and, and to be honest, I connected some of the dots because a, a lot of people are in denial or ignore the signs of addiction and just kind of continue on with life. But he said something out with that hit home for me because he was like, man, I'll be coming straight off the mound and I needed a shot at crown and whatever. You feel yeah. me? And I think a lot of us, whether it's just that six pack of beer after you get off work or off of doing whatever, it's like you have that vice that you feel like you need after after a stressful day or after something took up some (laughs) of your time. You know what I mean? So it was like his equivalent of needing a shot after he pitched is the same equivalent as a lot of us needing a blunt after we didn't had to do something or been stressed out or whether it's moving or whatever, like you usually in your mind make up a reason why that blunt is a celebratory blunt. Yeah, for sure. You know I, I, I mean? had a coach. <laughs> I had a coach actually growing up. Um, you know, obviously we go to his house sometimes, you know, when we're playing AAU, if we had AAU practice, whatever the case may be. But I spent enough time around this coach to where um, I got to see him at times when he would get home from work. And he would kick back. He would call it Beer 30. When he got off of work, he would come home and he would call it Beer 30. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what he was dealing with at work or what he was dealing with personally to know why he needed to have that beer but 30 he, moment he designated time but he for that designated shit. time Faithfully, for beer right? 30 every day See? beer 30 he'd come home and it would be beer 30 when he'd come right. home and like <laughs> i said from the outside looking in things would seem all good, good. with him and mm-hmm. i still don't know right. if things were or were not good but with him but evolved and got older you do know that a beer every day can't be good right i mean it's just not something it, it's mm. a vice for something it's a vice whether it's good or not i'm not even gonna say but it's a vice good healthy wise it's just we know yeah. that a beer a day probably isn't the most the whole, yeah, nutritious most, isn't thing the wisest yeah, choice. i don't yeah. mean good or bad as a choice i for just sure. mean for your body so it's like that in itself you know it's a vice and it's probably it's not a, vice. a positive one so right um it's yeah. common and that's <laughs> what i meant by it being so relatable to us is that a lot of people and that goes back to what you said the humanizing and all of that a lot of us face addictions in one way shape form or fashion and and we don't label it as such and i think that's basically what his message was for so long is that he made an excuse to drink to where it didn't seem like it was uh excessive to him until it was rock bottom 
yeah. he spoke and on it, that. It, you know right. what I mean? And so that's what and it was And it became public. And, and it had to become public right. when he missed the game. Yeah. And, and that was the playoffs. Going into the playoffs, had to miss a playoff game where you kind of couldn't hide it because you're the best pitcher. You play for the Yankees. You're the best pitcher. You're in the rotation. And you're missing a playoff game? Yeah. In New York. The Yankees. It's the Yankees. That is probably the most prominent mm-hmm. sports franchise in American sports. More than the Lakers. Period. More, so more than, than the Lakers, Lakers more sure. than the Celtics, more mm-hmm. than the Steelers, the mm-hmm. Packers, mm-hmm. the Cowboys. Like, the and Yankees are the epitome of American sports in regards to its prestige and its popularity and its ultimate tradition. And, and although, uh, I mean, it was entertaining. I don't want to use that as the word just because of the, the vibration that it was on, but... I do think it was it was very put together the correct way, and I also think that it's gonna save a lot of people yeah. from hitting their rock bottom before they seek help. Yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was yeah. really a very teachable. It was a lot of teachable moments in there, but I think it was so impactful that even me at, at personally, I feel like after watching that, I became a better person immediately. And right. that might not sound right to you, but I think it was that impactful it to home. me where it, it hit, hit home, home and, right. it, and it it warranted some immediate changes that I won't discuss, but it, it definitely was impactful, and I think that's really what his his goal was in doing that. That was a vulnerable thing that yeah. could have been looked at as corny, weird, uh, uh, off, or, you know, like you said, people look at him in his superhero light that now might look at him a little more human, whatever the case may be. I think that that was a sacrificial thing for him to agree to do, and it was well executed. Absolutely. So certainly, shout out to CC Sabathia. Shout out to Vallejo, California, um, which is our hometown. And since we're already talking Vallejo, California, we're going to make a huge jump from CC Sabathia to this versus. I actually want to get into this versus and talk about it a little bit. Yes, please. Um, like I said, we'll get back to some of the sports stuff here shortly. Certainly, the NBA is back, so we got to talk about that. We'll give some of our kind of early season predictions on that. But the versus, you had E40, you had Too Short. D Boy, you're the artist, so I'm going to kick it to you first with this one. Um, just what were some of your general thoughts, man? You're an artist, you're a rapper, you, you know these artists. You're from the Bay Area. It was intended to be for the Bay Area. What was just some of your general thoughts on the verses? Um, I thought the overall uh, vibe of the verses was, or the overall representation of the Bay Area within that verses was pretty much spot on as to what people expected Um wholesomely and then i think and i don't think wholesomely is a word but y'all get what i'm <laughs> yeah. saying and then in totality <laughs> right exactly and then individually i think we got what we pretty much expected from too short but we got a little or a lot of more than we expected from <laughs> 40 and in a in a in a in a positive way i think it was good entertainment for the verses and for the platform and for them and all of that um you know, it was just more than I expected. I, I've been around E40 a lot of times, and I've seen little sprinkles of all of those moves, but he pulled out his bag of tricks that night, didn't 100%. he? 100%. <laughs> he pulled out his bag Do of tricks. Do you think he pulled it out because he probably hasn't done a show in so long? And you have to also add, tack that on to the fact that Versus has turned into such a massive platform. 
Like, I think it was connecting the two. Do you think there was like, this is probably the longest time E40's been rapping for 30 plus years. This is probably the longest time E40 has gone without doing a show. I think, I think it's a lot more credited to him not doing a show in, in a long time, as well as him understanding the platform that they were on and how impactful and huge huge it is right now to the culture. With that being said, I've watched E-40 perform in front of 1,500 to 2,000 people, and I've watched him perform in front of 25,000 at the Motor Center. Yeah. And his sets were very similar in those two realms. You would agree that's a big yeah, gap yeah, yeah, in yeah, numbers, yeah. right? Right. But the same moves and uh, the see, same From a theater to an arena. Exactly. Right. And I've watched his set be very, very similar. This E-40 that we just seen on Versus was far different than any of the times that I've seen him perform from a theater to an arena. With that being said, I think that has obviously kind of backs what we think as far as it being credited more to him not being, you know, performing in so long. Three three things. Him not performing in so long. The alcohol. Yeah. And the platform. <laughs> and the platform. Now, we can't, we can't just you disregard can't. the alcohol. Like, that wasn't the first part of it. He was, <laughs> he was loaded. Slither. <laughs> which, which, you know, it's not a secret. 40 drinks. His you name is I mean? E-40. Like, it he comes drinks. from drinking he, 40s. He, he, he <laughs> like, so, that's not a secret. <laughs> And, you know, I didn't been around him, had conversations. He's always sharp. He's very, he's a, uh, what's the word? He got a lot of class. I know that about him. Yeah, he's yeah, always yeah. classy and he's always very mindful of what he's doing, what he's saying, who's around him, how he's looking, all of that. I mean, down to the point where I, there's some insight. Um, one day he was doing like a, a meet and greet after, after a show and he was taking a picture with some young ladies and then it was another person who kind of snuck off to the side of him and just start taking random pictures. And he didn't stop the dude to tell him stop taking pictures of me. He said, man, let me know first before you just go over there and taking pictures. Like, I, don't, I ain't even looking at the camera. Like, I want to make sure that yeah. I'm, I'm right. I'm you presentable. Me? Exactly. At, at, at my so, best. <laughs> exactly. And so this is after Photogenic. a night of performing, <laughs> drinking, angles, everything. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It was just like, yeah. I didn't know you was taking... Let, if you're going to take a picture, just ask me and let yeah. me get right. You right. feel me? And right. so with me knowing how mindful he is of his appearance and everything else that I just mentioned... Um, I know that, I, and not that, and the, he was dipped on verse. And that's what I was about to say. Not that his appearance was bad at all, but I know that he was a little bit more looser up there with the dance moves and everything. And I, I mean, all I know is to credit that to somewhat to the album. Yeah, he was, he was definitely <laughs> drunk. Like they both were. They were they both, both were more intoxicated than anybody I've ever seen on verses. That's for sure. Facts. And I think verses is celebratory. So and. and it did connect to Bay Area culture in the regard of right, right. party culture. Yep, that's um, what it was. That's it, what it was. Now, now, I will still go as far as to say I'm grateful that it happened. It was an entertaining night for me. I think it was a great moment and a great thing for the Bay Area in particular in regards to us being able to have our legends be in the spotlight in this way. But I still sort of wish E-40 would have gone up against somebody from a different region to give us a little bit more regional respect outwardly. 
I never I, thought about it like that. I agree, though. I think, you know, E-40 and Too Short going up against each other, it was indeed a, indeed a celebration. They both have hit records, and I think you can place each of them against somebody from a different region in a different market because they have the hits to stand on, and I think they showed that in the verses the other night. But I do kind of wish that 40 could have went against maybe like a Busta Rhymes or a Fat Joe just to give a different look based on the people who are so high on maybe these East Coast artists that I name, or even if you were to get somebody from the South or just a different region in the Bay Area, just to put a little bit different of a spotlight on them as artists. right now, and I could be wrong as hell because I'm not from the East Coast and I didn't follow this person outside of their main hits. I don't think Fat Joe got nearly enough hits to fuck with E-40 on a versus bill. Ooh. That's what I think. Ooh. That, that's what I'm going to say. But that's the conversation I'd rather have. Whether I you agree with I mean? you or not is one thing. <laughs> I think Fat Joe definitely got some records, and I think you just got to sit, you got to go look through the catalog first and, and you might, and before you see, saying that. You might be right, but, but all I know is when it reached me, and I don't think that's enough to, to even... remotely compete with E-40 catalog. But my point is in that, my point is in that, that's the conversation I personally would rather be having. Mm -hmm. Because E-40 and Too Short are so synonymous in a lot of ways in regards to how long they've been in the game, how much music they made with each other, Mm -hmm. them both being from the Bay Area. I think that the Bay kind of got looked at from just a Bay Area lens in particular, and I would have wanted people who would have came into this versus with a different lens, maybe because of the artist that he would have been going against, to sort of be shocked by okay. that Bay Area culture I got a good competing against then. an entirely different region. I got a good question, because I feel like it was easy to say who you would think 40 should have went up against. Who would have been a good match for Too Short? Um, versus that you would have liked. Like, let, who would you think would be good and entertaining alongside Too Short in a versus battle? <sighs> For Too Short? And that's why, because I think it was good. That I'm about they to both, say, I'm ahead. about to tell you. Yep. Because Too Short's been around so long, I think it's going to be hard to say, oh, somebody from Too Short's era. And even beyond that, I didn't grow up back in the 80s. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I'm young. Us, yeah, I, I'm yeah. born in 93. So. Yeah. I could certainly be missing some great artists that probably could match up with Too Short just because it wasn't the time period I grew up in. I think for Too Short, maybe somebody like a <laughs> like a Method Man. Method Man, Red Man type. Yeah, you know what they, I mean? Yeah, I, I think I, I somebody think like work. a Method think, Man and a Too and Short. They big enough name, yeah, that are, would they're work. both big enough, incredible names within the that rap was game. Damn near about the best I, answer you I could get. I think did. Method Man is kind of a, a, a way I would go in that regard. Now, obviously, Method Man has some group stuff as well, um, but that's just the artist that comes to mind first for me. Um, and I just think they both kind of align as far as just kind of their their mentality towards the game yeah, a so, little bit. Yeah, East um, Coast versus West Coast OG. Exactly, crazy. exactly. So Method Man would be the person for me for too short. But like I said, for E-40, I think he could have gone against a Fat Joe. I think he could have gone against a Busta Rhymes. Busta Rhymes is somebody who's been around for a long time. And after seeing that E-40 energy, matching that with a Busta Rhymes energy, because we all know how energetic Busta Rhymes can be, I would have loved to see something like that just to make it more of a global thing. What did you think about the numbers? Were you, like, shocked well, by the... I like the numbers a lot more now that they came out in a wholesome aspect. In totality, I've only huh? seen the... Uh, 
I was only paying attention to the IG numbers when, because that's what I was consuming it through, and I was a little disappointed after. It looked like it was like around two sixty thousand for a long time. Um, then it kind of went down to the two thirties, and I think it ended around like two hundred. But I expected them to crack three hundred on the. Uh, on the IG Yeah, platform, with the concurrent viewers or whatever. Yeah, the, um, yeah, exactly. And that's just with the pandemic and with who they are and all of the, the advertisement and hype around this one because it was far more, in my opinion, than what I've seen um, that of other artists that were before them on the uh, verses. So with all that being said, I thought on IG uh, it was a little bit lackluster. Um as far as the engagement and all of that. But overall, they broke, what, 2 million? They broke 2, they, they broke yeah, two million. They broke 2 million total. I think Apple TV or Apple whatever was their most consumed way of, uh, view way of watching it. So uh, IG wasn't even the main platform that it was viewed on. So with that being considered and all that, Shit, it was it was cool. It was a good look for the Bay, and a hell of a lot of people seen it. Yeah, absolutely. No, like I said, I enjoyed it a whole lot, man. It, it, it really was dope. It really worked out. It was a celebration for the Bay. It was fun. It was entertaining. It was all of that. But like I said, I just I just want the Bay to get more respect from other regions. And I think, you know, for the hip-hop heads... They know what time it is when it comes to E-40 and Too Short. Yeah. Um, but I, more so for the general population. Mm -hmm. um, I think hip-hop has become so widespread. It's mm -hmm. the top stream genre in the world that it's easy to lose sight of what E-40 has done, of what Too Short has done. Um, especially, like I said, from a regional perspective in comparison to a national or even international perspective, that I wish they could have gotten some of that exposure to some people who had zero interest in the Bay, but maybe had some interest in whoever that opponent would have been from that particular region to just kind of make them a bit more aware uh, of who these two are and what they've been and what they mean to hip-hop culture um, but the platform obviously was massive enough, and E40 has become such a wide, widespread meme. Maybe it worked out, <laughs> it being right. E40 and Too Short, because we might not have gotten that charisma mm -hmm. if E40 was going against somebody and else, because I, Too I Short is his friend. You, I know for a yeah. fact he wouldn't. I know for <laughs> Too a fact Short is his friend. Yeah. It, it, E40 literally felt like he, yeah, was, he was at home, home in that yeah. battle. Yeah, he, he didn't did. feel like he didn't. He wasn't cognizant mm -hmm. of having to go against somebody from New York or from another region and having to be on his p's and q's and his ones and twos he knew he can get all the way off with too short beside him and plus we know how we know how uh how how much too short kind of gets out there a bit too in that regard as well so it was good for both of them to be able to play off of each other because yeah too short can be pretty vulgar and yeah. pretty out there himself so i don't think we would have gotten the same entertainment value had they not going up against each other just based on their relationship with each other. But I do think that maybe we could have been on some other people's radar in a way that we won't be now because this was an all Bay Area event. And sometimes in the Bay Area, we make it a little bit hard for people to accept and receive us. <laughs> Good job. When we're <laughs> He's just showing off his damn talent at this point. He has a way with words, when, damn it. When we're together. 
Facts. You get what I'm saying? Like I, I think when you. we when we go to other places, yeah, I we're think, a lot easier to receive and accept. It, it's but we can be form, pretty arrogant as a unit. But in simpler form, <laughs> I think it was a party and a celebration and all of that for the fans of E40 and Too Short. I don't think, like you said, I don't think it brought in a bunch of new fans. It brought in some good moments and some memorable content, but I don't think... Which will pay off in other areas, yeah, like E40 sure being will. able to sell out of his alcohol because we sure saw how drunk he was yeah. in that and, moment. And, and actually, I, I I take that back because while the verses, right after the verses went off, the number one trending thing or one of the top three trending things on Twitter was... My ghetto report card. So it does translate. I translate. know that it's, I know that, it's too big know, of a platform not to, trans- and to translate. Yeah. It, Versus has become that massive it didn't of a take point you to of his a platform. Brand new project, but right. it did have my ghetto report card streaming. Yeah, so, and, and Versus is that massive of a platform where they've proven time and again they translate as a platform. And obviously they translate because of who they bring to that platform, which is only the legends. So the fact that E40 and Short even made it to that platform which is a platform pretty much slated for legends at least up to this point because it's still fairly new um it speaks volumes to e40 and it speaks volumes to how them being there translate to other aspects of their careers and what they've done in the past but like i said we could be a little bit arrogant we could be um a lot of bit vulgar if you're speaking to too short like i don't think too short can be received in the way that he displayed on that versus all over america yeah I'm talking about to to legendary status. Um, he's and 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 that's not to say he hasn't been received that way in pockets of America in the past. I'm more so speaking to um, the times that we're in socially and what you kind of can't get away with today that you might have been able to get away with, and he was able to get away with back in the '80s and back in the '90s, and that goes back to you speaking to his actual fans rather than just the general hip-hop community and what it's ultimately grown to be to this very point in time. So um, it was definitely real bayish, and like I said, it's hard to kind of crack into that Bay Area sorority or fraternity or togetherness, whatever it is that you want to call it when the Bay Area decides to unite, which isn't often, so it was a good night in that regard for us. Um, it could be hard getting into that. Now, I think Bay Area, Bay Area people are very good at spreading out and integrating themselves into other regions, into other markets, into other cultures because of how diverse the Bay Area so happens to be. But if you don't come from the Bay Area, it can be a bit hard to receive the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So um, ultimately, it was a good night, and, and I enjoyed it and had a lot of fun with it. Um, the NBA is back. The NBA is back. The Brooklyn Nets beat the snot out of the Golden State Warriors on opening night. The Los Angeles Lakers received their rings and lost to the Los Angeles Clippers on opening night. Kevin Durant wasn't hardly willing to speak to Charles Barkley in the post-game interview on opening night. It was a lot that took place on opening night, D-Boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm usually more excited about the NBA returning, but I really feel like we just got a quick little break of them being gone, um, considering the bubble run and how the last season went right. um, and, and rolled over into a very short offseason for the players and for us spectators. So um, as I am excited, I feel like, in years past, I, I I missed it a little bit more. I, I was away from the game a little bit longer, and so uh, yeah, it just seemed like I, it doesn't seem like 
I it been months since I've seen them play, even yeah, though it has yeah. been what was it two months? Did it end in sept, September? Late September, early yeah, October. Maybe near, the finals ended in like early October ish. Yeah. So it just didn't. So yeah, seem it's only like been a couple long. months. It, um, it hasn't been that long of a break. But you know, it's basketball. I think it's it's heavy entertainment. I, like you said, it was a lot that transpired just in opening night. And because basketball is my favorite sport to watch, uh, you know, definitely I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think for it's sure. Thirteen games today or something. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a lot of games today. But like I said, um, more so speaking to opening night, it was really good to see Steph Curry back, even though they got blew out. Two for ten shooting threes. And yeah, those Brooklyn was, Nets cool. are a problemo. Yes, sir. Kyrie Woo! is a problem. Kyrie. You can say what you want about Kyrie. You can say what you... Hey, listen. I never got caught up in all the BS. Listen, I mean, I I never have either. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily agree with Kyrie when it comes to not speaking with the media and when it comes to just his off-the-court antics. I don't know him like that, so... No, for sure. I can't make a agree or disagree. Do your thing as long as you ain't doing nothing stupid and keep playing like that, and I I don't even care. No, I, I think... The problem that I have with it is Kyrie, where I where I would judge Kyrie from that standpoint, it's not because I'm in defense of the media, especially somebody who works in the media. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Kyrie is necessarily clear about what his intent is when he does such a thing, but he is still vocal and outspoken. So he can be really he can be really confusing in regards to his messaging as to why he's doing what it is that he's doing. Because you got to think about it. Kyrie is the, what is he, the president of the Players Association or something to that extent? Like, Kyrie has put himself (laughs) on the front lines Mm -hmm. of of the league, essentially, um, with the way he's positioned himself, obviously, on the court, but even more so off the court. So he doesn't have to be in that position. But if you're going to put yourself in that position and then you're not going to speak to the media... We need some clarity in regards to why you're doing that just based on the position you've put yourself Not in wrong. off the court. That's more so my problem with Kyrie Irving. I don't care if he talks to the media or not. Like, I, I, I don't care. But when you put yourself in a position that you do, you have to be very clear in what it is that you're trying to accomplish, especially if you're being outspoken in other areas. And so that part for me was just... It was tough for me to grapple with in that regard and really support Kyrie as to why he wasn't speaking to the media. If he gave me more clarity on that, I may be 100% rolling with him. Um, But my goodness on that court, he is special. He is, I would have to say, after watching that game yesterday and obviously, you know, watching his career in totality, Mm -hmm. he might just be... And I'm speaking just a pure basketball skill with the ball in his hands, the most gifted basketball player in the NBA. Mm, that's a big statement. The most gifted with the ball in his hands. He may be the most gifted. You have other players that are more gifted in other areas. You have Steph might be a more gifted shooter than Kyrie, but Kyrie is still a damn gifted shooter. You know what I mean? Same goes for Dame. Nobody is more gifted of a ball handler than Kyrie Irving. Um, Even, you know, I was watching LeBron on, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but the show that um, Richard Jefferson and Shannon Fry does under LeBron's media company, Mm -hmm. Uninterrupted, like LeBron came on there and he, he was speaking about Kyrie and he said, 
when I was playing with the guy, there was no way that I didn't see him being a future MVP in this league because of how talented he was. Right. Like his ability to be such a small guard, but go post up Clay Thompson, who's got inches on him in size, got more girth, and still be able to shoot it up. Like, like his just natural gift to be able to play basketball to me is probably as good as anybody's. That's not to say he's better than everybody because some people have certain gifts that exceed maybe his overall gift as a basketball player. Some people may have body types like a Giannis or a LeBron, you know what I mean, that Kyrie isn't gifted with that kind of puts them past him as a basketball player as a whole. But just with that rock, he's certainly a special talent. And obviously we know how special of a talent Kevin Durant is with his ability to score the basketball in the way that he does at the size that he is. And they got a damn good bench. Yeah. I mean, they, they they look like my favorites out of the Eastern Conference. And I don't want to, like... They like, look like they can win it all. 100%. I, I agree. <laughs> they got the depth. They got the star power. They got, I agree. They got the experience. Kyrie's a champion. Kevin Durant's a multi-time champion. Like, they have everything if they can just put it all together. And uh, they look like they're putting it together in that first game. Like I said, I don't want to get too hyped, but they are certainly a contender. They're a championship-caliber team. Obviously, you got to have a little bit of luck in that process as well. But like I said, when both of your stars both have championship experience and the firepower that they do, absolutely. There's not a team in the league on paper or based on that performance yesterday that I saw that they can't beat in a seven-game series. Facts. I agree. You <laughs> so, ain't said a lie. So that that's definitely where I am. But I am certainly excited to see the NBA back. Uh, like I said, I'm excited to see Steph Curry back. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, the right time of the year. Christmas always feels like basketball. So the fact that it's Christmas time and it's basketball season coming up, I'm very grateful that we got basketball back. But D-Boy, let's go back to the music again. Let's do it. Because uh, you dropped Finally Went Pro. Yes, I did. Now, your, your EP's cover was a picture of you at Vallejo High, as we already, you know, Talking mentioned during the CC Sabathia conversation. Yep. It was a picture of you at Vallejo High, but this was a rap album or a rap project mm -hmm. that you released. Mm -hmm. What's the correlation between the actual album cover and the actual music and the content put out and the concept of it being titled Finally Went Pro? Don't forget, if you look even closer, it's not just me in a uh, in a in a in a baseball uniform from high school either. It's also an article from the Vallejo Times Herald newspaper of me being 11 years old and pitching my first no hitter, as well as the first no hitter that was thrown at Wilson Park that that season. So, the correlation with that was the fact that um, ever since I was young, I had dreams of going pro. Not only did my dad, our dad, embed that in us, but we truly had a love and a passion to play sports. And I'm talking about all year round, all of the sports. And so um, it's kind of that concept of sometimes things don't go, go the way that you plan, but you, you still have you know, other blessings and, and, and other things in store that might not have been how you foresaw things that go similar to what CC said, even with him going to the major leagues and everything, sometimes life just doesn't go as planned. 
So with me being as deeply rooted in sports as throwing no hitters at 11 years old and, you know, going through the co- the, the high school and then college system playing sports, um, you know, all the way up until I was shit, 19, 20, I had dreams of, of, of going pro. And I actually played alongside somebody uh, by the name of Tyler Cravey, who's a great personal friend in, of mine. And uh, due to him being scouted to go pro, which he eventually did go play professional, uh, you know, got all the way up to the big leagues, uh, we had a lot of professional uh, organizations coming to watch us play in college. And so when when they start showing interest in me and me getting scout cards from the Rockies and the Angels, that, that meant a lot. I felt like I was one step closer to being there. And then I suffered a back injury that basically ended my career and, and, and made it not even an option. So right. um, after, after sports, I had already started diving into music back in high school. And it wasn't the forefront of my stuff because I was so heavily involved and invested in sports. But once that wasn't an option no more, I felt like the passion of music was able to really match up and compete with my passion for sports was playing sports, I should say, late in my career. And so the transition was easy, even though I wasn't nearly as good in music as I was in sports at that time. I began to to pick up that passion and develop a work ethic for that similar to what it was when I was playing sports. And so that's ultimately what it was. Um, and, and just a little bit of the merging of, of that whole concept. I wrote the song for the, the Portland Trailblazers titled Rip City. Got a big article in that same newspaper, the Times Herald, all of these years later for that. Um, being in the tunnel with the players, being on the court at the Motor Center with the Blazers, pregame, during the game with the DJs, postgame, shooting on the court, just everything about the lifestyle that music has has brought me from working with E40 to Sage the Gemini. All of these things are 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 professional accomplishments and, and it really came from nothing. When I started doing music, I didn't know what an ad lib was. Um, I was I was very new into it. And so ultimately from going to not knowing an ad lib to working with some of the biggest legends and artists in the game and some of the biggest organizations in the sports world. Shit, we here, baby. So <laughs> so so I, I want to be clear. So I, I love the concept and I got a great understanding of now how you put it together. But this is my question. What took place in particular? Because music, we oftentimes hear it as being subjective. Facts. I, I what see where took, you're going with this. What took place in your career for you to say you finally went pro in the music realm? A million streams. A million got streams you. this year. I, okay. A million streams got took place it. this year. Uh, I had never done a million streams before. Um in a single year and I think as music consumers more so than artists uh, that that's a big thing that's a big number when an artist does a, a million, million streams in anything. In anything, <laughs> a million is a big I mean? number in even, anything <laughs> even down to even down to my distribution deal with Empire and them using that magical M word when it came to revisiting maybe getting an artist deal as opposed to a distribution deal, which that's a whole nother story that we could talk about another time. But ultimately you get looked at 
on a professional or a different light when you when you do those kind of numbers. And so, um, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if it was more so the pandemic. I don't know if it was just the conceptual content that I started early in the year back to when I was rapping about the pandemic when it first started. I did a class of 2020 uh, mixtape record early on this year when well, we yeah, first started hearing yeah, about yeah, graduate. Yeah, your Dutch Bros record gets a lot of TikTok spins yeah, too, doesn't Dutch it? Dutch Bros, a couple of those went viral. And when I say that, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of streams. I think that's just all calculated nowadays in the form. Like, music is starting to get more of a handle on paying artists and what platforms pay artists. And so right. artists are starting to have an understanding of that. And so, like I said, for, for the last five years... Uh, that's what I count. I did music, obviously, like I said, simultaneously with, with sports and all of that. But I became D-Boy LTD in 2015 while living in L.A. And since I've been putting out music as that name, I never did a million streams. I've seen the reaction of my supporters and fans. I've seen the reaction of people close to me. And I've seen the reaction of new people who just discovered me based off of you know, the numbers and the moves that we make. And so I just felt like with with everything collectively, everything I mentioned, plus, like you said, leading to the to the million streams, it, it I, like I said, we here. I, yeah. I think I think we can rock with the best of them. I think we have a great understanding of the business side as well as the music side and what people want. And I think it's something to build off of. So finally went pro doesn't mean we made it. Going pro is the is the start. We got a foot Absolutely. in the door. We 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 you here. Got, we you got, got a team. Drafted. You, you know got what I'm signed. Saying? You you in exactly. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah. know what I mean. Even yeah, yeah, even yeah, the yeah, greats yeah. like Kobe didn't just get drafted and then become Kobe overnight. But with the work ethic and, and the knowledge and the experience that I have leading up to this, man, I I think it's it's so amazing and I think it's so much to look forward to on on this level. That's dope, man. That's dope. You got any big plans for like 2021 and yeah, what, how you're going to release music? Bro, or are I, you going to release more music than you did in 2020? Mark my words, and this is a shout out to somebody who I seen mentioned a lot in the top five list that you was talking about. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check his Instagram if it's still up. But yeah. Larry June. Larry June, I was, I was riding on the way here to do this podcast today and I seen that Larry June just dropped his sixth project of 2020. Yes. So, you know me, I'm a numbers guy. I start doing math. That's easy. He dropping a project every two months. Yep. Then I start thinking with, with the access we have, having our own studio and, you know, the budgets and, and, and everything, um, that's super feasible and I think that is very much so a, a large contribution to his success and to why he pops up in people's mind when, yeah, you, when you talk the about time, these when you have those things, kind of conversations, right? yeah. And so, um, my my plan or my vision, what I want to execute, is just putting out more content. Because I'll be honest, I'm one of those tough critics on myself. Try to wait for the perfect time. Try to wait for the right time, and and then I kind of noticed that. Man, you gotta put the content out there for the people to receive, for the people to consume, for the people to to be able to even make an opinion on, as opposed to trying to hold up or prep something to be perfect. Because yeah, you know, everybody has their lane, everybody is liked for one thing or another or multiple things, but it's not up to me to to say what's perfect or 
you know, it, it, it's up to the consumer. They have to be able to see it and hear it and feel it to even be able to to be exposed to me. So with 2021, after doing a million views off of one or a million streams off of one drop project and, and some mixtape shit early on, oh man, y'all gonna get a lot more content <laughs> out of me. I, I'm gonna just be honest. And that's yeah. gonna be not only music wise, but just visually, man, going down to the promotion we did um, for the project and hitting the baseball field and all that. It's just so much that I learned this year and and I've been able to tap into what people like about me and what's received well about me. So be prepared to see a lot more and hear a lot more of me next year. And that's nah, my word. No, nah, man, that's dope. And, and obviously, you know, just you saying that and me being a fan of Larry June, I had him in my top five, certainly. See? That was back when we did the, the Simba interview on the last episode. Y'all go check that out. But... Mm -hmm. um, I don't even just think about it from like podcast form. Like we, we're dropping a weekly podcast for about an hour, roughly mm -hmm. every episode, mm -hmm. a project. And I'm not saying the creativity, right? Like, I'm not saying that it may be a little bit harder to come up with good lyrics than mm -hmm. it is to just get behind the mic and talk shit for an hour on a microphone. Right. Right. But when you start to correlate the amount of time that you're podcasting into the amount of time maybe a, you, song, you're, takes. a song takes to, to record and release. You gotta drop. There's no excuse for artists these days not to be cranking out insanely dope co uh, content often, mm -hmm. more and, often. And don't get me wrong, the production of music is definitely a lot more involved in the production of a podcast. Absolutely, you're absolutely. Recording vocals on a singular track, it's no real music, you know, other than the little gaps and stuff. So when it comes to mixing the beats and mixing the vocals and in in the mastering process, it's just a lot more involved. So it does even though it's a shorter song, it does take a lot more, I feel like, than the production of a podcast content that's even an hour or so long. But I definitely get your point. No, in, but in these day and age with the access that we have and, and the ability to do things so fast I'm going to be honest and just say it. One project a year is unacceptable. Absolutely. If you're trying to be in these conversations. And, and come in up in realm, the game, especially. Uh, uh, exactly. And if so, you ain't Drake and you already made it or you're signed to a label and y'all have a plan that y'all know is going to work and a financial backing that you know is it, it, exactly. tailored to you dropping once a year, yeah. that's one thing. Exactly. But other than even, that, Even as far as just you seeing with leverage <laughs> and getting leverage with listeners for your podcast and stuff, consistency is key with that. Yeah. And so for me, I got lucky because once again, sometimes the right time happens by mistake. I couldn't have planned to say, oh, I'm going to drop this project after doing a million streams. You know what I mean? I couldn't right, have made right, that right. plan last year for this timing. But as I seen the numbers, I was like, oh shit, we got 800,000, 800,000 plus. We creeping up on this to where I knew if we hit that in time, this project would kind of be placed as a celebratory, you know, yeah, I, I know uh, yeah, I haven't yeah. given y'all a lot of content, so let me give my fans this as an appreciation and also to let y'all know, like, even though I haven't dropped Taylor shit, we got shit ready in the vault and in the archives. Yeah. And and so I'm just learning that, you know, more, more less time preparing for the right time and just more content because Absolutely. we obviously have something there. Yeah, and, and we're in a time where content is king because... Fast. Many of us have not much else to do because we can't be out and about and doing some more of the real life things that we may have gotten accustomed to over our lifespan. But I will say um, I agree with you that the the 
preparation and putting a song together the production when it comes to putting a song together is a bit more rigorous than maybe the production of a podcast Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the reality of it is they're both being uploaded on the same platforms they're going to the same places they're going to soundcloud they're going to spotify they're going to apple they're going to title so the fact that they're going to the same places Mm -hmm. if the podcasters are cranking out more content on more of a consistent basis guess what you see the popularity of podcasting grow over time that's not to say that there isn't space for both but you right. do have to acknowledge that they both reside in the same space. And let's just put so, it even simpler in it, sports terms. If I played you one-on-one and you got to take six shots and I only got to take one before the game was over, I'm feeling cheated. I'm yeah. feeling like it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't get my just due. Yeah. You feel me? And so that's kind of when you see an artist drop six projects as opposed to, to one. one. Right. You know, even though I had a successful music year, my 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 shot attempts was low. Was, was low. So it, your it, opportunities you know to be mean? able to do it, more exactly. are less. Exactly. And, and that's all I'm saying is if you think about it from that lens, maybe it gives you more of a push to drop more mm-hmm. music over it's the course coming, of the for year. Sure. For sure. So looking forward to that. But uh, on that note, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all of you. We appreciate you for rocking with us this year. This is the last episode that we'll be recording. But as I mentioned, we will be doing a special best of episode next week, just before the new year. And when I tell you, as I've been working on this thing and I've been selecting different clips and different moments that we've had on this podcast to incorporate on this best of I think it will really give you all a great look, a great outlook on all that we actually have done. Because mm-hmm. as as obviously me being a host of this podcast, as obviously you coming on and co-hosting with me on this podcast, mm-hmm. and obviously as the consumers and the subscribers and the listeners and the folks that are consuming this over the course of a year... We're always, like I said, it's week to week. We're dropping another episode. We got the next episode coming. We're always kind of in work mode. Mm -hmm. And this will be a a time to really reminisce on everything that has been said, the moments we've had, the education in the game that's been been given. As I mentioned, the diversity of this podcast over the course of a year. And I think it's going to be really special and it's going to be really key for you all to just sit back and enjoy everything that we've got to put together over this last year because we've done more than a lot of folks out there mm-hmm. and and we've had mm-hmm. better guests i would say than a lot of folks out there as well and I as agree. you get to really see it from january to december you'll be like oh my goodness i forgot this much happened within that time span so i'm really excited for you all to be able to listen to the best of episode um on that note we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how and that is to stay woke and, and go, go win, win.